Now hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. left there, and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and Jesus said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Please be seated. Now, if you, as you might have guessed, we're going to wrestle with some very difficult and uncomfortable topics today. So I'm going to ask you to pray for me as I pray for all of us. O oh, Heavenly Father, creator of all things, you formed us to be your image and likeness, showing all creation your goodness and love. In our selfishness and hard-heartedness, we have corrupted your image. We have made excuses instead of confession. We have sought our own justification rather than returning to your loving kindness. Give us, as you have promised, new hearts that we may truly know you, and then teach us to be your intended image, that all creation may know you. O Lord Jesus Christ, you are the living word who took on human flesh. Son of man and son of God, reveal to us the eternal truth as we encounter you in the Holy Scriptures, and form us as your body, the church, to be the image of God to the world. O Holy Spirit, comforter and guide, Lead us as we seek the way of truth. Heal us where we have been wounded. Comfort us where we grieve. And gently correct us when we stray from your way. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in my sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. These, indeed, are difficult readings that we wrestle with today. Probably some of the most difficult and, unfortunately, some of the most weaponized portions of Scripture. I'm hoping today to be able to lay a groundwork for a theology of the image of God that allows us to find the restoration and redemption that characterizes the kingdom of God 
rather than the dissension and division of the kingdoms of this world that too often corrupt these verses. Before we dive in, let us allow Mark to set the stage. We begin by noting that Jesus has left the house in Capernaum where he has been teaching the disciples in private. And he begins a journey, a journey to Judea and the land across the Jordan. The Son of Man is setting out on the Passover pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The Son of Man begins the last stage of the journey to the cross, where he will indeed be the Passover Lamb for the salvation of the world. As we wrestle with these topics and with all difficult topics, let us remind ourselves that the way of the kingdom of God is always, always the way of restoration. Jesus teaches as he travels. And a group of Pharisees come up to him in order to test him. They're trying to get Jesus to choose sides in a rabbinical debate. They're trying to see, in our words, if he's a Calvinist or an Arminian, if he's Reformed or Catholic, if he's really Protestant enough. The Pharisees set up this conversation in a predictable way. Is it lawful? To which Jesus responds just as predictably, what does the law say? And the Pharisees refer back to Deuteronomy, where Moses writes, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then, he find, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. See, the Pharisees expect Jesus to take a stand on what constitutes an acceptable reason that a wife might find no favor in her husband's eyes. One rabbinical school held that the only way that justified divorce was infidelity, an indecency that he found in her. And a school on the other side taught that even a poorly cooked meal or seeing a prettier girl might be sufficient reason that she would find no favor in his eyes and justify divorce. Jesus refuses to take the bait. In fact, he turns the debate on its head. He says that it is hardness of heart of the people that necessitates not this commandment for divorce, but permission. It is the fallen nature of humanity that seeks to justify itself outside of the intention of God. And Jesus turns not to the law, but to Eden, to show the original intent of humanity. Let us turn there as well. We hear in the first chapter of Genesis, as God says, he looks out over creation. He says, let us now make mankind in our own image, after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. You see, mankind is created for the purpose of imaging God to creation. 
And the second chapter of Genesis gives us more detail on how this is to be. Contrary to all the other creatures in the created order, God takes his own hand and forms the human one from the dust. And he breathes his own spirit into the human. The human, thus crafted and inspirited by God, stands with God. And with God surveys all creation. And we hear the first not good. The rest of creation, God acts, and it was good. God sees the human one and says, something is missing. It is not good that the human should be alone. This reveals something essential about the nature of our triune God. Our God is indeed one. And our God is community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The persons in perfect community as one. The Father eternally emptying himself into the Spirit and the Son. The Spirit and the Son eternally receiving the Father. The Son eternally emptying himself into the Father and the Spirit. The Father and the Spirit eternally receiving the Son. The Spirit eternally emptying himself, giving all that he is into the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son eternally receiving the Spirit. The fullness of God is found in this eternal other receiving and self-donating. The human alone contains the fullness of the image of God and yet is unable to fully image God because there is no community. The community cannot be found among the rest of the animals of creation. There is no other to receive what is poured out. There is no other from which to receive, and so God causes the human one to sleep. And in this deep sleep, he divides the image of God into male and female. Apart, neither contains the fullness of the image of God. Apart, neither can fulfill the purpose of humanity to image the triune God to creation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The fullness of the image of God, male and female in community. This calls to mind one of the ways that the church has tried to comprehend the mystery of the Trinity. With the Father begetting the Son, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father. And this love between the Son and the Father becoming manifest, becoming real as the Holy Spirit. You see, the simplest way in which humanity can fulfill its purpose to image God to all of creation is in the perfection of marriage in which the man, the husband, loves his wife fully receiving fully and giving of himself completely. And the wife loves her husband fully, receiving fully and giving herself completely. And from this self-donating other receiving love is manifest a spirit that joins with the Holy Spirit to make one flesh that is capable of imaging God to the world. I think, 
I just raised the bar. We started out in our reading with the Pharisees asking about divorce. And indeed, divorce in any setting is a painful tearing asunder of a relationship. In the Judeo-Christian setting, it is a marring of the very image of God. But even more, we see that in any marriage, perhaps in every marriage, disruption of the fullness of love demonstrates our own hardness of heart and defaces the image of God which we are called to be. When I refuse to accept the love that Jennifer pours out to me, or when I refuse to empty myself for her, the image of God is hidden or distorted. We think we do not mar the image of God entrusted to us. We do not understand the mission of the Son of Man, the man of sorrows, despised and rejected without beauty or majesty, carrying the iniquity of us all on the cross. And see, it doesn't even matter if I'm right or not. When I cling to being right, I cling to the world's view of justice as rewarding right and punishing wrong. Let us remember always that the justice of the kingdom of God is restorative and not punitive. So how, how are we to find this way of restoration? Let us turn now to Paul as he writes to the church in Ephesus. And this passage has been misused and weaponized so much. I feel a bit like a bomb tech standing over it, trying to defuse us. And so if you see me running, <laughs> you better run. <coughs> as a first part of diffusing this passage. Let's put it into its cultural context. Paul takes the common household instructions, the household instructions that would be in any philosophical treatise, and then he raises the bar and applies them to the church. I believe that these passages are gendered husband-wife, only culturally and not essentially that they reflect the first century Greco-Roman culture and not the essential nature of gender roles in marriage or society. We see that as Paul instructs the church, give thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. Not men submit or women submit, all submit to God in Christ. Then Paul goes on to describe the way that the church takes on the role as imaging God as the household of God in eternal union with the Son. As we continue diffusing this passage, let's hold on to the image of God as community, ever self-donating and other receiving that we heard from Genesis. Paul starts out his instructions with the expected household instructions, the instructions for wives to submit to their husbands. This is not unique in any way. This is found throughout all of the ancient household instructions. But then 
Then Paul goes and raises the bar. Submit in the same way that the church submits to Christ. Going back to our image of God, we might read this. In the same way that the church receives the fullness of the love that Christ poured out for us, receive the love your spouses pour out into you. Let this be a warning to those so-called church leaders who would weaponize and use this verse as a bludgeon to beat down women. If you must command wives to be submissive, it is likely a reflection of the failure of your church to submit to what Christ offers. Let me say that again. If you must command wives to be submissive, it is likely a reflection of the failure of your church to submit to what Christ offers, to submit to the love of Christ. Paul goes on to raise the bar even further. Unlike most of the household instructions of the day, Paul gives instruction to the master of the house as well, to the husband. Love your wife in the same way that Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her. Again, looking at our image of the Trinity, we might say, spouses, pour yourself out, empty yourself, trusting that your spouse will receive in love what you offer. Paul concludes by telling us that he risically isn't talking about the typical household at all. Paul is assuring us that the image of God, the divine community, is not ours to perfect in our marriages. Oh, praise God. The fullness of the image of God is perfected in the marriage of Christ and his bride, the church. Christ pours out himself, his own blood, to cleanse, purify, and sanctify for himself, the church. And the church submits to receive fully this cleansing, this purification and sanctification without trying to deny its need or to attempt to cover up or fix itself. In turn, the church, filled by the Holy Spirit, pours itself out to God in praise and thanksgiving. Friends, this is indeed good news. It is good news to those who are married at your best, you are fulfilling your calling to image God to the world and to the church. And when you struggle in your marriage, the love between Christ and his church is meant to guide and sustain you, to restore you. This is good news to those who are single. You fulfill the image, the, the call to image God in community male and female together in community within the body of Christ, the church. This is good news to those who are divorced and to those who remain in marriages that are deeply troubled. The community of the church is called to be the community of restoration. Not an exclusive group, but a community of restoration and love. Just as you see 
reflected the marred image of Christ on the cross in your marriage. I pray that you see in the church the image of God in Christ resurrected from death, ascended in glory to sit at the right hand of the Father. Indeed, what God has joined together, wives and husbands, Christ and his church, let no one tear asunder. Amen. Amen. Now, we've covered a tremendous amount of ground as we wrestled today. And I'm certain that we're not finished wrestling with these difficult issues. And indeed, I invite you to continue to wrestle. I invite you to wrestle with one another. I invite you to wrestle with me. These are two important issues. Two T-O-O, important of an issue. <laughs> to not wrestle with. For just as I, as one person, cannot image God in my own, we cannot comprehend God in one, but we comprehend God in community male and female together. But I want to leave you with a framework for our wrestling. We heard today that one, God created humanity to be his image and likeness to all of creation. Two, that the first human was formed from dirt and received life from the very breath of God. And this first human contained the fullness of the image of God, and yet was not good, because the essence of the triune God is community. The triune God exists in the continual state of self-donation and other receiving, one pouring into another, the other receiving and pouring into the other. Four, in order for the first human to fully and truly image God, the fullness of the image of God was divided into male and female. And the fullness of the image of God is now contained in the intimate union of humanity, male and female in community, made as one flesh. Seven, this fullness of the image of God is the divine intent for marriage. But in our fallenness, we are unable to live into this divine image because of our own hard-heartedness. But God, in his mercy, restores us along with his image in a new union between Christ and his church. And so, friends, as we come today pouring ourselves out in an offering of praise and thanksgiving, trusting that that offering will be received in love. And we come to this table, receiving Christ poured out in the body and blood of the Eucharist. We come as the community of God, offering ourselves and receiving from Christ. We come as the church, to be made one flesh with our Lord, we abiding in him and he in us. We come so that we, as the church wed to Christ, may go forth to image God to the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Amen.